welcome to the first full-length episode of Inside Song. My name is Paul Costello, and today I'm bringing you an interview with South African singer-songwriter Dave Stark. We cover lots of ground in the interview. We talk about his new album, his songwriting teaching, and his recording process. If you're a musician or any way involved in the music industry and you'd like to get in touch with me to be featured on the show, please feel free to drop an email to insidesongpod at gmail.com. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter as well at InsideSongPod. And we are now available on Apple Music, Anchor and TuneIn and hopefully on more podcast listening platforms in the near future. And now, without further ado, we're going to go straight over to our interview with Dave Stark. Hopefully you enjoy it as much as I did. He was very giving of his time and gave lots of great advice and helpful information. I started off by asking Dave a bit about where he's from and his background and how he got into music. I'm a singer-songwriter and I live in a, a really small little town in an area of South Africa called Zululand. Uh, it's in the northeast of the country. I've lived here for the last 12 years. I, I grew up in Cape Town, which is one of the biggest cities in South Africa. And I've been playing music since the late 90s, I suppose. Um, you know, mostly part-time and sort of like it's a hobby. And then it got progressively more and more professional you know, over the last few years. And I'd say for the last five years, I've been working almost full-time at it. And then for the last three, I've been absolutely full-time as a, as a musician, uh, which is, is kind of a rarity in South Africa because uh, audiences are small and financial support is, you know, difficult. You have to work really hard to make it as a, as a full-time musician. Yeah. So I'm lucky that I can do it. Um, but I suppose I should say that not not a lot of that is original music. I do lots of um, very day-to-day kind of cover gigs. I play at you know pubs and hotels and weddings and corporate events like you know many musicians do. And I'd say I, I only get to sing, only really get to perform my own music, you know, ten percent of the time. The rest of the time, I'm lucky to work in music and I'm very thankful. But it's not like I work full time in original music yet, although that's something I'd like to move towards. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my journey into songwriting was a slow one. I uh, studied um, drama theater at university, and then I studied education afterwards, and I was a teacher for 10 years. So I, I think songwriting for me is kind of like a, a combination of music and storytelling and teaching all kind of rolled into one. And just there, you, you mentioned, you know, you're doing this full time now. So with the current situation, obviously, everywhere is closed. So how are you managing to survive financially at the moment? I, you know, I was booked for a whole bunch of weddings and, and regular, you know, um, what do they call them? Residency performances. And I, I had some money banked up from that. And then about five weeks ago, those all started to be cancelled slowly but surely. But fortunately, people don't cancel their weddings. They postpone them. So yes, I received. I had received deposit payments for those and they're in the bank and um, in, a, in a really bizarre stroke of luck and I can't think of why I deserve it but um, a few uh, months ago my old school that I taught at phoned me up and said look you know the grade seven teacher is having a baby she doesn't want to come back exactly on time after her paternity leave so would you be able to come in and do just three months of part-time teaching? And I was very, very resistant um, because, you know, uh, being on the road for music and working weekends and then working a full week, I, I was very, very reluctant. But they they basically begged and pleaded and <laughs> and pushed me and I accepted. And that time period is for uh, March, April and May. So I'm getting a sort of half salary for those three months. So 
I am much better off than I would have been if I hadn't. So I banked up some food and I locked myself down in my house with my two dogs and I'm just making the best of it and I'm, I'm okay, you know, I'm going to get by. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, it's good you have, like you say, the weddings will will be rescheduled and it's good you have a bit of teaching as well. So you mentioned there about your teaching and I noticed on your YouTube video that you said you taught poetry to children at primary and high school level. Uh, in the past um is that um a common occurrence where you are or is it just something that you brought to the table yourself given your your background in songwriting no it's it's in the curriculum uh for both primary and high school but it's it's to be honest it's kind of watered down you know they don't they're not asking too much uh, at school level i i maybe put more into it um and did it with more enthusiasm than more enthusiasm than other teachers because i like songwriting so poetry is a an adjunct sort of, you know, path. It's really quite strange, but I, I learned so much from teaching poetry <laughs> that I didn't think that I knew or that I maybe wouldn't have known if I hadn't taught it, you know what I mean? Having to actually think about what you do automatically really mm-hmm. brings home some of the things that you do. And it was really beneficial for me to go through those years of doing that. I just thought that was really interesting because, I mean, we, we would have had poetry here on uh, on our curriculum as well, but it, w- it was always just studying, you know, the works of, of known poets. It wouldn't be the process of how to write a poem. So I just thought that was really interesting. And, you know, your channel there that you mentioned, you've just set that up recently and you have a video up there, which we'll, we'll talk about. But have you other plans? What other kind of videos are you hoping to put up there? Yeah, so I've called my channel The Songwriter's Journey because it's some, songwriting is something that I'm kind of interested in at the moment um, for myself and for the idea of, of teaching it to others. And I want to put things that are related to what it feels like to be a songwriter without the support that you would have had maybe a generation ago on the record labels. I talk about this quite a lot, but basically the recording industry doesn't exist anymore. So, so well... For the most part, it doesn't exist. So if you're a a 17-year-old songwriter and you uh, want to go somewhere, in the old days, you would have played lots and lots of gigs. You would have worked your backside off. If you were vaguely good, eventually a manager or an A&R person from a record company would have said, hey, kid, you've got potential. Let me introduce you to this person. Let me put you in session with these three great old musicians. But why don't you try to write a song with this person? There would have been all these things that basically added up to what's called artist development. And that doesn't really exist anymore. We're all out here on our own, scratching, trying to work things out for ourselves. And there's some lovely freedom in that. But there's also a real loss of, of someone that pushes you and someone that maybe explains things to you that you haven't considered anymore. Everyone's kind of like an island at the moment. And then one of the, the videos that I'm planning on doing next is just about studio terminology. So let's say you've written four songs and you go into the studio and you want to record a little demo or an EP. What kind of words do you need to know that the, that the studio engineer might say to you? You might say, hey, I'm going to dr- drop you in at the chorus. Or, hey, do you want to put some MIDI on this track? Or uh, pick up the cans? Or do you want to do this to click? So it's about, I'm going to do a, a video about those like just basic studio terms so that you don't feel intimidated when you go in there um, without any you know preparation. Because I remember that feeling of going into a studio the first time and having no idea what's happening. Yeah, that, that sounds great, though. Um, even, like you say, simple things like that, those terminology, I, I wouldn't have thought of it, but there are so many little phrases that people use, you know, that once you're in the use of recording and stuff, you do get to know them. But I suppose when you're just new into it, you'd be sort of, what? What, what what's that? Uh, so I'll be definitely looking forward to, to more of your stuff. On that note, do you think it's possible for anybody to write a song? Or is it something um, that you need to have a, a sort of a 
an inclination towards? That's a great. That's a great question. Really, <laughs> with probably a very long winding answer. I think. I think anyone, if they if they were passionate about wanting to express themselves, could write the lyrics to a song. And I think if they applied a lot of those things that I spoke about in that video, they could they could do the skeleton structure and lay out a song with good, you know, um, uh, phonetic rhythm and which would rhyme. I think we all have that in us. I think to turn that into a song musically, obviously you'd have to be able to play the guitar, play the piano, have an idea of melody, and it gets a bit more complicated. So I think anyone could write, I think anyone with enough uh, intention uh, could write a song lyric. Yes, definitely. For myself, I'm not, a partic I'm not particularly good at writing, uh, writing too brief, you know, like, given a topic and now you have to write i'm more of a i'm more of a sort of right when the spirit moves me kind of a person but i think by applying some of, the, some of those structures i could probably uh, write a song to brief it might not be great but i could sit down and do it uh, whether it would be something that i felt uh, proud of is a different story but yeah i think anyone can apply those can apply those strategies well you never know i mean all these people at home now with time on their hands if they're checking out your youtube video you never know you could inspire them to uh, become the next big successful musician. The method you um, talk about is sort of like a triangular method where you start at a broad sort of base and, and work your way up. Maybe if we go through it briefly, obviously I'd recommend people to go and check out your video, but uh, just give a quick summary of, of that method. Yeah, my feeling is about, about songwriting is that it's about trying to capture a moment. And moments are really, really big uh, for humans because we're, we're processing sensory information all the time. So there's you know, touch and taste and smell and sound and ideas and thoughts and memories and projections and songs um, as well as paintings and poems and all kinds of things are our attempt to try and condense these very very big experiences into uh, a nutshell into a small uh, sort of concept that we can then communicate to another person with all of the richness of that experience but with not but not with all of the words and all of the um, you know unnecessary stuff it's about being very specific so what I, what I sort of advocate doing is you start by just doing free writing, which is just to write just as much as you can about um, the event that you're trying to describe. Just don't worry about the, the spelling or the grammar or anything. You just write and write and write and write and write. And uh, that becomes like the bank of ideas that you're working with. And that's the base of the triangle. And then the next level up is you narrow that down to just selecting the really good ideas that you got from that experience. And then the next level up from that is to try and format those good concepts into some sort of structural skeleton for the song. So you start thinking about things like how many syllables there must be per line, uh, which which lines need to rhyme with which other lines. And then you go one out from there and you start looking at the structure of the song in terms of uh, verses and choruses and bridges and so on. And at each one of these levels, you're basically narrowing your focus. You're getting rid of the excess. You're cutting, you're trimming off the fat and you're trying to get really down to the, the bare bones of the whole thing. And my last point in the video is that you want to try and do that, but not look like you're trying too hard to do that. You can't look forced. You've got to just be, be um, expressing all of these very complex ideas very simply, but you can't look like you tried too hard to do it. So um, it has to appear natural. If you look like you tried too hard, you lose the listener. If you look like you didn't try hard enough, you lose the listener. So you want to be very specific about what you do, but don't make it forced. I think that's the ultimate message of the book. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose that last bit is the hardest to get right. Um, but just a, a couple of things on that that you mentioned, like the free writing thing, it's it's not something I've heard of before. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, just writing down 
everything you can think of basically like a sensory picture and taking the best parts out of that to begin working uh into the song and i suppose as well that you know rhyming was kind of a few levels up from the the bottom a lot of people when they think of a song they'll think well it's a melodic story that rhymes um but you you're kind of saying when you're starting out don't really worry about the rhyming too much yeah my my point my point is really that a rhyme a rhyme must fit the story the story is the important thing you know the that describing that experience is the important thing and the rhyme must play second fiddle to that um you mustn't try and make a story fit your rhymes you must make your rhymes try and fit your story so a word must never ever be in a song simply because it rhymes that would be that would be the biggest laziness you, that i could imagine it must rhyme and and it must deserve to be there in terms of its validity about the story and about the moment um the the rhyming is a bonus <laughs> but as for me uh, it's a structural thing and the words that i choose uh, are about telling a story and that's the primary yeah and would you use this method then nearly every time you write or is it more you know sometimes you like you say earlier you you'd be hit with with the inspiration to to write something something just comes to you and you'd start writing would you if that happens would you just carry on and write or would you go and free write first or how would you approach that sort of situation uh that's a tough one probably a little bit of both to be honest i mean uh, what i've what i've done in the video is as i'm talking about a very uh, structured way that you could approach songwriting but often i like many other people something just sort of flows out of us and then it's more about recording it rather than structuring it it's about releasing it something sort of comes up from your subconscious from your experiences and you just you as a songwriter then just need to get that down before you lose it and that happens to me quite a lot i generally tend to write from a spontaneous point of view like when as i say like when the spirit moves me then i write um and then then but then basically what's happening there is that that impetus that that desire to express that moment is like your free writing it is the palette of emotions and feelings and the story um and then i will jot down some of those ideas write them down roughly and then start applying the rest of the triangle from there on in like looking at what words might rhyme with what i've got that still makes sense what the phrasing might be and actually just talking about phrasing and and songwriting i, I might just make a little segue here i i perform live a lot I've been I've been playing live. I've probably done a couple of thousand performances. I do about 200 a year. So even if you're playing someone else's music, which I do a lot of, you're playing covers, your muscle memory starts to do phrasing for you. You get used to what the structures of a four-four rhythm song are, or a three-four rhythm song, or maybe an island even a six-eight. You get used to what those things feel like and how the words flow over them, and you start finding that you'll do a lot of that stuff automatically if you've played a lot of music. it's kind of more of a feel thing that you just nearly subconsciously do when you're writing and in terms then of of you know doing co-writing would you recommend this method for that or you know if you're sitting in a room with somebody and you're trying to come up with something would you say okay let's free write something and see what comes out of that would you would you reckon that would be a good idea i think so i mean it's it's difficult because i'm assuming you've already agreed on what the topic is I mean what what your goal is. Um then I I think free writing's great because free writing breaks down a whole bunch of barriers about the idea that something has to be good or that it has to be right. You basically take those two requirements away and I've described it in my high school kids before I said it was like vomiting on the page. You just you're just getting stuff out of you. And 
Dump. and dumping it on the page. And it's not about prettiness or whether it rhymes or what the phrasing's like. It's a very good way of bypassing your own critic. And as a songwriter, your own critic is one of the biggest obstacles you've got. Also, the human brain processes enormous amounts of, of stimulus all the time, but we don't actively do it. When we walk into a bar, we don't say, hey, this bar smells like tequila. <laughs> and um, there's, there's a woman over there who's wearing Chanel number no. five and the lights are red and it's cold. Our brain is actually receiving all of that information all the time. But we're focusing normally on one or two of those things. And our brain is just acting as a filter and getting rid of the rest to speed up our processing time. When you go back to free writing and you put you close your eyes and you put yourself in that room, in that bar, and you say, what did it taste like? What did it smell like? What did it feel like? What was the lighting like? You actually get a much richer experience of, of that experience then you maybe even had the first time because you're actively reactivating those those um, sensory stimuli that are in your brain. So to sit and and and, um, and free write, even in a co-writing situation, is just giving you a wealth of information to then work with. It just it was fascinating to me just because I'd never heard of it before. I mean, that probably might sound a bit surprising to you, but it was just a new approach for, for me. And like you mm. say there, when you do that, I suppose you probably will remember things and things will come back to you that you'd never even realized at the time or that you'd never thought of uh, that you can then yep. use as part of the song. Just maybe move on a bit to, to your latest album, which is only out a, a couple of weeks, isn't it, at this stage? When, when did you start writing for that? I, I released the, my, my first album as, as a solo uh, musician. I released uh, in December 2018. And I'd say I took a, a couple of month hiatus after that because recording an album is hectic. It's a huge assault on the on your senses and on your life and on your relationships and on your bank balance, all kinds of things. So I suppose about, for, from about, for about three months, I didn't do anything. I just sort of uh, recovered. And then from about the second quarter of 2019, I started writing again. And this album has uh, 10 actual full songs in it. It's got two uh, little instrumentals, but it's got two full songs on it, of which I uh, composed um, seven. And one is a traditional song, uh, Will You Go, Lassie Go, with a Wild yeah. Mountain Time. And then two songs that I recorded that were written by songwriter friends of mine. So I was writing, I suppose, about a song every two months um, for about a year and a half, I would guess. And that, for me, that's a lot. I'm not a very prolific writer at all. I, I know people that can write a song a week, and I am not one of those. I, I'm slow, and I'm quite purposeful. Um, I don't think it's something that comes particularly easy, so I don't have a huge volume of work. Well, well those two albums, they were released pretty quickly after each other which is the first thing i noticed I, I was like oh okay this this album's only out and there's another one out not long previous to it and i suppose listen to both of them uh, i suppose the second album has some more kind of extra in instrumentation going on it's still very driven by you and your guitar and your singing and your lyrics which are out front um but you know there seems to be a bit more instrumentation happening so was was the approach different going into this album or what was different about it, if, if anything? Yes, um, I'm glad you noticed that because it was quite a purposeful thing for me. I suppose on the one, on the one hand, it was about um, planning. Uh, my, my first album was quite spontaneous. I was going through a kind of a, 
a pretty hectic time and I, it was my way of dealing with it was to write those songs and to get them out. I was really driving, I was pushing hard to go into studio, record quickly, get it done and finish it, which I'm not advocating a good thing to do. It's not, but that's what I did. <laughs> um, so there was... So there was much less uh, ornamentation, uh, ornamentation, much much uh, less instrumentation going on, fewer session musicians and that kind of thing. When it came to the second album, I wanted to explore my uh, ability to do arranging because that's that's a it's a secondary songwriting skill that I think is really useful and it's something that I know I'm not I'm not you know an expert in, but it's something that I'm engaging with a lot at the moment. I'm actually doing a, a free uh, course through Coursera at the moment lockdown time on, on arranging for arranging you've got to be having well you don't have to but i mean it's about how do you add other instruments in how do you look at your harmony parts how do you find light and dark and and empty and full spaces on a recording so i knew i had to collaborate more and i've i've met more musicians in my journey i've toured a lot more so i had a, a better bank of people that i could call on to say hey can you come into the studio and do half a day for me um without having to pay too much for it <laughs> which is a which is always a, a oh, thing for recording. You know, there's, there's huge, yeah, there's huge costs involved. So if you've got if you've got talented friends that that you can exploit a little bit. Um, so for some of the songs, I brought in a jazz trio, you know, and we discussed arranging and we worked out parts. And for others, it was just me and the guitar. So to create that that feeling of of, of uh, fullness and emptiness, of light and dark, of volume and of quietness. It's great to think about music in that way. And for me, it I hadn't thought about it much that way. I had to put on a, a different mindset to do that, which was cool. Sure. And and I suppose just a couple of the songs, I mean, you know, that stood out to me that I wanted to just ask you about. Uh, Burn After Reading was one that jumped out at me straight away. I noticed from from after, you know, looking at your video that you mentioned about how to rhyme lines and different ways to approach it. Um, so I was conscious of that. And I noticed that you were sort of in that song, you, you have two rhyming lines and then the third line of each, you know, section rhymes with the, you know, the next third line. Uh, if I'm explaining yeah. that right, I can't. I can't say again that I set out to do that. Um, but once you've established a pattern, then that that is something that stays with the song. Um, you have to have a very good reason to change that that plan. If you if you've, if you've structured a verse a certain way, it's like if it's a rhyme scheme that's like line one, line two, rhyme, and the third one's different. Then that it is your rhyme scheme, and you have to stick to it unless you have a very very good reason not to <laughs> mm, mm. um so I, I didn't set out for it to be that way but once it was established on one verse then i find that to be really great once i've knocked down one verse and one one chorus then for me that's a lot of the work is done because you've, you've made very important structural decisions there mm. and the, then you then you're just basically putting your ideas into that mold it's like a jelly mold or something once, once you've written one verse you've decided so much about the song already my letters, conceal my words, I'll make them better than anything you've heard. All you have to do is burn them after reading. Come round and see the walls I've built, my borrowed cat. Blood I've spilled. All that's left to do is burn it as you're leaving. The 
song uh, Come With Me you have a lot of imagery kind of relating to you know the sea and the harbour and, and those sort of things I was wondering was that something you started out with or did that sort of occur as you were writing the song that oh there's a lot of imagery to do with the sea in here I'm going to have to break your heart here Paul because I didn't actually write that one. Oh no <laughs> um, sorry yeah. about that that song was written by my friend Wayne Pauly who's a who is a wonderful wonderful um uh, songwriter he's based down in Cape Town which is like the, it's the well one of the capital cities um in South Africa he spent a lot of time actually playing in the UK and in Ireland right now, okay. but um he writes these just exquisite ballads that that feel like they're a hundred years old somehow, and uh, he, he doesn't really play this kind of music. He plays uh, stadium rock, like this really loud rock wow. and blues stuff. But he writes these incredibly sweet acoustic ballads. So I've I've played quite a lot of his music over the years, and that's why one of them. And so he, if he he kind of wrote the song and said, "Oh, that, I know who'll who'll sing this well," and he gave it to you. Is that the way it worked? Oh, it was the other way around. I I first heard him play this song probably. Uh, 15 years ago um, at a folk club in Cape Town when I used to live down there. Yeah, when I was putting the the album together, I was like, I definitely want to do one or two uh, cover songs because I want to put my arranger's cap on. I want to take someone else's song and say, right, now, how, how am, am I going to do this? What am I going to add into it? It was a, it was an act, it was a purposeful activity for me to want to play someone, to record someone else's music because I wanted to approach it not as the songwriter, but as the arranger. And that's what I did with that song. So I arranged the, um, you know, the structure of the song and the harmony part at the end um, was my contribution to it. But yeah, I asked him for permission and then we recorded it, not the other way around. <laughs> Leave your harbor and come with me I am more than ready I'll take you over Yeah, I was, it's another question I was going to actually ask you about, you know, on this album you have um, Will You Go, Lassie Go, and on your previous album you had Danny Boy. Was that coming from the same place to just take a well-known song and put your own slant on it? Yeah. Um, also, they're both songs that I totally love. Um, and, well, in the first album, in, in my Duende album, when I did Danny Boy, I was a song short, I felt. You know, I, I wanted to do an album, and it was feeling like an EP. You know, the whole album, I think, was 20 minutes at one point. And I thought, like, I've got to have one more song, you know. And I couldn't write one fast enough. And I didn't want to just rush something. And I, I played Danny Boy quite a lot loud, uh, live. And I thought, you know what, if I record this song, it's, um, it's in the public domain. So I didn't have to worry about royalty permissions and copyright infringement. So um, I spoke to my, my engineer about it. And I said, you think we can do a, like a one-take recording of the song? We did it. I did it live. And... Um, and that, yeah, that's that's why I put it on there was because it was it was public domain. But when it came to Will You Go, Lassie Go, it was a, a different uh, motivation. I had asked a, a Dobro slide guitar player, um, who's a wonderful South African musician called Richard Haslop, to come in and play Dobro slide on my more sort of country song, which is called uh, Ghost Train to Free State. Yeah. And he was coming in specially to the studio just to do that one song. I thought, like, surely I can, can do something else with this guy and really utilize his his um, his skill. And I said to him, almost like uh, as a joke, I said, do you know the Wild Mountain Time? Do you know, will you go last you go? And he said, yeah, of course I know. And I said, do you think we could just sit down and do one? 
And so we did. So that one we also recorded as a live take. It's just I had a vocal mic, one guitar, one mic on my guitar, and he was on the other side of the room. And he had two mics on his dope bro, and we did a live recording of it, and it went to the album. Okay. And and would many of the songs been done in that uh, way, just live takes? My preference is always to try and do the guitar and the lyric at the same time, the guitar and the vocal at the same time. And I did that for, I'd say, probably two-thirds of the recordings. I do I do guitar and my vocal, and that's that's the final version. Mm. My engineer and I have a, a an agreement that we don't auto-tune and that we don't use part takes of anything. So I, he, we're not opposed to maybe redoing something, but we always use, use an entire take. So we don't like say we're going to drop in for the verse, and drop in for the chorus. We're going to do an entire vocal take. If we're happy with it, we'll keep it. If we're not, we're going to scratch the whole thing and start it again. So for me, I like to record guitar and vocal together. And then other things were added onto that. Um, you know, some of the, the percussion was added on top, um, second guitar parts added on. And I'm um, just looking at the, the lineup here. That the, my song Peter Maritzburg, which is a duet, um, we were all in the room um, at the same time, and it was recorded in one take. It obviously comes with uh, compromise because you, I, I look back on things and I think, oh, I didn't quite sing that note perfectly, and I didn't quite sing that um, you know that bridge perfectly or whatever. But I still feel it's it's important to try and come across as real, mm. and that people will forgive that, that. In fact, some people will celebrate. The honesty of that yeah yeah and that's cool i'm thankful for that yeah and another song that stood out to me uh probably my favorite song on there was are you ardent um maybe talk to me a bit about that and the writing of it okay i'm so glad you asked because that that funny enough is my my favorite uh it's the one i'm proudest of let's say um because i there's the lyric which is about it's a question are you ardent you know um are you willing, are you brave enough to, um, you know, to pursue this idea with me? It's about a relationship. You know, like, like, are, you, are you brave enough to, to look past this problem, to look past that obstacle? So there's a lot of these questions. It's about how serious are you about this? But what I, what I did in the arrangement is that I, I actually mapped that out musically as well. So the lyric tells that story. But if you look at the arrangement of the song, it's got this very certain and steady um, uh, percussion. It's like steadily um, playing, underscoring the lyric and the guitar. And then there's this very neurotic uh, guitar, um, and very neurotic violin solo. Uh, the violinist comes in, I, and I said to him, um, Ant Bawthorn Blaisby, he's a, he's a fiddler, he came in and did it. I said, look, I need this to be neurotic. It needs to be nervous and pensive and uncomfortable. And I got another wonderful musician who I often collaborate with called uh, Nishalan Pele. He's an Indian tabla player. And he came and he played this really pensive tabla underscore on that. And the combination of those two things means that the song moves from this very serious, steady, secure delivery to this really quite neurotic, nervous, pensive solo. And then it returns back to this steady calm. So I was, I was mapping out the lyrical journey with the musical arrangement as well. And that's something I was really happy with. I had never really thought about music in that way before mm. until I was arranging that, that song. Well, well it's, it's a great song. It's probably my favorite on there, as I said, and it's a real uh, Leonard Cohen vibe I was getting from it, which is an influence of yours. I, I gather you've mentioned him uh, in the video. So, um, you know, that's what I was getting from it. I was like, oh, this is, uh, you know, I nearly had to go and <laughs> check. Was it a cover? I was like, <laughs> I have to Google these lyrics. The sun is shining on the rectory. 
you love me? Well, there were, there, were, there were a couple of things that made that a very a very Cohen-type song. The one is obviously a very low vocal delivery. Yeah. Uh, I, I am a, a bass baritone, and I, I sort of fly in the face of the idea that you get in the recording industry that, that higher and louder is better. That's a prevailing idea in pop music. Oh, absolutely. And I, I just... I just fly in the face of that. I'm like, no, I'm going to sing lower and slower. <laughs> and so I, I've I've sung a lot of Leonard Cohen's work, and I, I have a tribute show that I wrote about him after he passed, and I've toured it. I've probably done about 70 performances of that. So he's very inside me in a way. I can't escape. You know, he's there. So that, that slow vocal delivery is very Cohen. And the other is that I was using a flamenco um, uh, nylon string guitar. Uh, for all the other songs, I play steel string. But that one was a... A nylon string and Leonard Cohen was very known for playing nylon string so it, it definitely it definitely um is derivative in that way there's something of him floating around lurking around in the shadows yeah, of that song yeah yeah um i one more song then i suppose just to to mention is ghost train to the free state uh i love the imagery in there about you know uh selling empty houses on empty streets and the age and sort of dividing the streets up and you know this train this empty train that arrives on time but there's nobody there how did you come up with, with that sort of stuff um well that's that's the truth that that's the truth that's me capturing the truth you know i i was i was driving the free state is a very big very beautiful part of south africa it's uh it's sparsely populated it's mostly farmland and it's in the it's in the center of the country and i was driving through it to go to a zen buddhist um retreat a few years ago, I was going to go on a silent retreat. I thought it would be an interesting uh, experiment to go and be silent for 10 days. So I, I set out on this journey. It was, it was a full day's drive to get there. Um, it was far away. And I had to drive through the whole of this free state. And I stopped in a couple of towns in the way. And, and there was just nobody there. Just, uh, every town I went to, things were boarded up. And there were just real estate signs everywhere. I couldn't find, I couldn't find any restaurants. I couldn't find a place to have a drink. Um, it was just, it was a strange experience. Just driving through what I imagine was once a place that was filled with people and schools and businesses and is now just feeling emptier and, and emptier every time I go there. And that's, um, and it, it developed a sort of country and country and Western kind of feel. I think that song, I suppose it's the harmonic and the idea of the train. It's, it's very country imagery. Yeah. And I was in farmland and it just sort of. Uh, it just worked, yeah. Yeah, and the, you have the real low, uh, sort of country style vocals as well in there. An old forgotten ghost train through the free state, won't deviate or change its former line. From Bethlehem and down into the mountains, no one's waiting, but the driver runs on time. You see, Harrismith has fallen from its grace, man can't even find a place to eat. Seems they're only selling empty houses. The agency's dividing up the street. I suppose uh, we'll begin to wrap things up because I've took up plenty of your time and I've really enjoyed uh, you chatting to me and telling me all about your process and going through some of the songs there in detail. But before I let you go, maybe uh, just if you want to plug your, your albums where people can listen to your music or any links to buy it. Yeah, well, firstly, let me just say thanks, thanks to you, Paul. Um, you know, it, it's I, I do a fair amount of interviews uh, locally, and it's very rare that you have an, someone that interviews you that's actually spent some time with your work <laughs> that is able to say, oh, this line or this song. Quite often, it's a very, um, you know, 
um, shallow kind of process, like, oh, tell us about the album, whatever. So, so to be able to engage with you and with these about these songs has been really great. So thank you uh, for that. But yeah, just about the album. So my album, Shifting Boundaries, I launched, I think it's three and a half weeks ago now. Um, it was supposed to be a, accompanied by a big nationwide tour, which I had to cancel because of coronavirus. So I did it. I did an online launch, which I would have done anyway. So Shifting Boundaries, the album, I'm Dave Stark, and it's available on Spotify and Deezer, YouTube, Google Music, Tidal, Napster, you know, all of the digital platforms. Um, if, you, if you like it, please share it, add it to a playlist. You know, that's one of the most amazing things about music at the moment with things like Spotify is the discovery of music and how music that I write can, be, it can end up on a playlist um, from someone in Norway or in Finland or in Japan and be paired with someone that comes from Spain or Mexico or Ireland. You know, it's just one of the incredible uh, advantages of digital streaming and playlisting. So yeah, please go and listen to the album. If you like it, share it and playlist it. Um, you're welcome to get in touch and tell me what you think. Um, I love talking about songwriting and I love talking about performing. So um, yeah, I'm available. Thank you. Oh, great. Well, thanks. I, I'm glad you, you, you found it a more interesting interview because, uh, you know, I've been toying with the idea of doing this for a long time and I kept putting it off and you know yourself it's also easy to to think of an excuse not to do something and um when this corona hit I said now's the time so so you're my first interview so um you know it's 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 been largely an experiment <laughs> but um I'm glad to hear you've enjoyed it anyway I hope you you do get to you know redo your tour once all this uh, blows over hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later and um, we'll probably have you back again at some stage for, for album number three. Yeah, yeah that would be great. And I, I, hope to, I hope to see you in Ireland sometime. I have been, I have been threatening for a few years to go over to Ireland. Uh, I believe the, uh, there's, a, there's a really good culture of audience support for musicians there, which would be really refreshing. I'm looking forward to exploring sometime when it can happen. Great stuff. Yeah, definitely there is, for, for, especially for the, the singer-songwriter. There is a kind of big love for, for that over here in the storytelling um, but yeah, keep in touch with us and thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to me, Dave. So there you go. That's the end of our first interview here on our first podcast episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I'd like to say thanks again to Dave for being so given up his time. We had some technical difficulties during that. Skype was playing up on us, so it took us a while, but we got there. So thanks to Dave for that. And uh, please go and check out Dave's album on Spotify or wherever you get your music. Shifting Boundaries is the latest album uh, title. And you can also check out his YouTube channel as well, The Songwriter's Journey. He has a video up there and he's planning to put up some more material in the near future. So hopefully you enjoyed the first podcast. We will have more coming your way very soon. Um, I'm not too sure how regular they will be posted because... Basically, it'll be done whenever I can get the interviews done, edited and put together and posted up for you. Um, at the moment, I have more time on my hands thanks to Corona, but uh, that may or may not continue. So who knows how long um, I'll be here uh, with extra time on my hands, but uh, I'll do my best. And if you have any feedback on the show, please do let me know. Uh, only good feedback, of course. Inside Song Pod on Twitter and you can email InsideSongPod at gmail.com I'm still getting used to the email address I have to set up a Facebook page yet um, but I shall get around to that in the coming days at some point remember to subscribe to the podcast as well at this moment in time we are on Apple Podcasts TuneIn and Anchor as well so 
that's about it for today uh, we'll be back at some point hopefully very soon thanks for listening and talk to you on the next podcast mm-hmm.